Hello, Blazers. Welcome to episode 83 of UAB Green and Told. Original release Monday, October 24th, 2022. UAB Green and Told gives us a chance to share stories from members of the UAB community. Want to listen into past episodes? Visit alumni.uab.edu slash greenandtold or listen in on Spotify and the Apple Podcast app. And while there, leave a written review to help more alumni find us. I'm Greg Berry, a UAB alum and director of communications in the Office of Alumni Affairs. Tis the season of ghosts and goblins. Yes, it's nearly Halloween. As we approach the spookiest night of the year, we welcome an urban legend content creator to the podcast. If you're on TikTok, you might have heard of Joshua Darren and his viral posts about various paranormal happenings in Alabama and the South. During a conversation, we'll discover where Joshua's interest in mysterious and celestial things began. As a kid, I was like, I want to know more about ghosts. I want to know more about Bigfoot. I want to know more about all of these urban legends across the country. And he slowly transformed his fascination of mystic subjects into a social media sensation. I found four stories and I was like, I'm, I'm going to do these four stories. If they do well, I'll keep doing this. If they do horribly, then this is just a pipe dream and just a, a, a cool thought. Plus, we'll find out if Joshua really believes in all this ghoulish stuff. And I, and I do think that skeptics also help the content as well. Um, to be transparent. I think it's uh, it's healthy and good for people to say, I don't believe that. Um, I don't think this happened. If you ask Joshua Darren about his social media success, he'll say that it was unexpected. He's just trying to be funny. But he hit on something, something big, by creating TikTok content on tales from throughout Alabama and the South. But before we get to the meat of the story, we need to know a little bit more about Joshua's journey to UAB. I really just wanted to get away from home, to be completely honest. And UAB had already accepted me, and it just seemed like the next best place. I wanted to get away from home, but not necessarily too far. Ironically enough, I didn't really like Birmingham that much when I first moved over. And now I, I consider it my second home at this point. So what was a little Joshua like, you know, in, in down on the plains in Auburn? I was into everything. Anything that I didn't understand, I was asking questions. And if I didn't get an answer, I would go and find it myself. And so that's kind of always followed me. Um, and I was always high energy, always a big talker. Um, I used to just, young Joshua plagued uh, my household. I, I had siblings too. So I was a little bit, I was the most energetic of all of them. Definitely the handful of the household, I would say. Was the plan always to do something in media in some form or fashion, or did you just kind of stumble into it? I was a big uh, TV watcher. <laughs> and so I just, I pulled a lot of inspiration from the people that I watched. Uh, so I, I actually, this is a funny story. When I first came to UAB, I actually thought that I wanted to go into sports medicine. And uh, I learned very quickly that that was not the passion for me. So I, it took a little time for me to get my footing, but uh, I had an advisor who was like, you, you seem to have a lot of interest and you seem to talk a lot. So let's try you in these communications classes and let's just see how they go. And then we'll go from there. And I took my first communications class and it was, it was pretty much downhill from there, I would say. <laughs> what was it about the communication classes that kind of drew you towards that field? Uh, it's not something that I thought I could go into school and do. And if I knew that going in, that's what I would have done Initially, when I stepped foot into the communications classes, it was like being entered into a whole new world with people who were just like me, who loved to, to write, who loved to talk, who loved to format the way that we shape the world. 
this is around the time 2012, 13, 14, 15, somewhere around there, that you're in these classes. And obviously social media is a part of your life at that point. Did you ever think that it would be a driving force and you'd have videos that are reaching the masses? It was it was still very big then, but not the way that it is now. Um, and so honestly, I, I was going every other traditional route except social media uh, to see if I could, you know, enter into the space. And it's just funny how things kind of come full circle. I was big on social media then and I kind of relaxed. And now I'm back big on social media again. It's just funny to see how how much differently it is from 2012, 2013 to, to 2022. You have this thing going on on TikTok about urban legends you did in Alabama, in the South. Where did this interest come from? This interest came from childhood. Uh, that was one of the things that I was always asking questions about. And I know that, you know, being in the Bible Belt, paranormal things are kind of taboo. So you'll get answers, but you really have to go and find it for yourself. So I was watching TV. That's that's where I learned all of my information from. Uh, as a kid, I was like, I want to know more about ghosts. I want to know more about Bigfoot. I want to know more about all of these urban legends across the country. And then I started uh, wanting to figure out where are these urban legends in Alabama? And so as a kid, I was I was jumping in head first in the first place I learned about. Uh, and it was actually the first place that I revisited again when I was a little bit older, uh, was Springville and Opelika. Uh, there were so many urban legends around that house uh, that we just grew up hearing. And I was, I was locked in. I was begging my parents all the time to take me there because I wanted to see the house. I wanted to, to, to get a taste of what it was like to, to do the things that I saw on TV. And so um, that's, that's where it, it started and it never left. I've always been a person who was highly fascinated into why things happen that we don't understand sometimes. And so it, it kind of turned into something very cool this year, I would say. So let's talk about how you got really involved in, in putting these TikTok videos together about urban legends. So what was the process? Did you just wake up one morning and go, you know what? I think TikTok needs this. <laughs> Um, it, it, it happened similar, similarly to that. Uh, my, my wife and I had just moved back from Colorado. We, uh, had our first child and, uh, we couldn't really do a lot of traveling because she was just so, so small. And so I actually randomly came across Spring Villa again. Uh, so it's back full circle again. And I was like, you know what? I want to take my wife here because she's never been here. She doesn't know anything about the urban legend. So we drive down over there. I take her by the house. Uh, which is a kind of an RV park campground now. And I was like, well, here's Spring Villa. And that's when I thought that I was going to tell her all about Spring Villa from the history and everything. And so I went home that night. I started doing some research and I was like, wow, there's an opportunity to do this for Alabama specifically. And I have the tools to do this because this is what I went to school for. It's just not exactly this. I found four stories and I was like, I'm, I'm going to do these four stories. If they do well, I'll keep doing this. If they do horribly, then this was just a pipe dream and just a, a, a cool thought. So I went down and I, I recorded four episodes. And I was like, I'm going to do these every day. I'm going to see how the people of Alabama like these. I'm going to see if my wife is even interested in the full story. And that's, that's when it happened. I, I saw other people doing this on TikTok with uh, animals and sports and every other thing. And I didn't see it for Alabama. So I was like, okay, well, here's a, here's a niche. I love Alabama. I love the paranormal. Let's marry these these two things together and just see what happens. And 
I posted my first video about Ghost Bridge in Florence, uh, over by the Forts of Cyprus, and I got over 10,000 views on it and was like, I'm gonna try it again. And so I posted another video and it was the same thing. And that's what kind of started me on the train to say, I can do this and I can keep doing this and I can serve a need that's not there. Putting something together like a podcast, it takes time. Putting something together in a minute on TikTok takes time. How much time and effort goes into making a product that's only 60 seconds-ish long? Uh, believe it or not, I feel like it's harder than actually putting together something that's two or three minutes because you can get all of the information that you want to, even if it's just exposition in a two or three minute video. But I wanted to be super intentional about making sure that these were bite-sized pieces. I would say I spend over 14, maybe between 14 and 18 hours a week, uh, just finding the stories, researching the stories, figuring out what I'm gonna say about these stories, recording the videos, having to cut them down as well, and even sometimes taking out information that I personally wanted in the story uh, and, being, and, and trying to present them in a way that people will actually want to stay engaged with it and even go the next step and give them information that they, that they might not have already had, even if they knew the urban legend themselves. So it's, it's a lot of work. I would say two to three hours a day just to have a one minute video uh, to put on TikTok. When you started in this journey, what was one thing you wish you would have known going in that would have helped you be even more successful? Almost every product that you watch, there's a there's an imperfection somewhere. So breaking breaking away from that OCD kind of perfectionist mentality, which is what I was really caught up in when I first started doing this, uh, I think I, I could have maybe achieved a little bit more success a little bit earlier uh, because I was dead set on I have to say things the right way. I have to, if I have a mess up or there's a noise in the background, I have to re-record and, and little things like that. And sometimes I think it's that imperfection that shows people that you're a real human, that you make real mistakes, that you're not going to be perfect and that it's okay to present the information with flaws in them. Uh, and, and it's part of the learning process though. So um, I would, I don't regret some of the, the flubs that I've made, um, but I, I, I do think that um, if I had taken my foot off the gas a little bit, I possibly could have achieved a few more things and just kind of recognizing what people actually want as opposed to giving them what I want to have. From that first urban legend that you put together to now, how has the product changed for you? Because certainly throughout the journey, you've modified things here and there, made a few tweaks. Uh, at first I was like, I'll just get this video out. I'll record it in you know, the corner of my house with the deepest echo that I can find. Um, I'll record it with uh, people looking at my chin as opposed to straight on. And just little little things that you don't think about that as you kind of research your own things that, you know, I had to tweak those things um, using a better and more consistent format. Uh, thinking about how I'm gonna align the text on the video there's, there's so many little things. So if you if you go back and look at my very first videos, I'm putting the parts of the series way at the bottom of the video. And so it's, it's handy to get it out of the way, but nobody can tell what part it is because it's covered up with TikTok work. And so that was a that was a change that if you were to binge my my videos, you'll see that's a quick change that I make. And I'm like, okay, I gotta I gotta figure out how I'm gonna uh, have some consistency across the board for all of these videos. So uh, I'm still upgrading the thing. So now I'm, I'm about to invest in a, a, a lavalier mic 
um, and make sure that the sound quality is even better. And now I'm, I'm starting to bring on uh, future guests where we're going to have kind of a interesting podcast, one minute dynamic where I have other storytellers tell Alabama stories and I'm kind of sitting in, but I'm not really there doing it just, just to make it more creative and, and more interactive and, and hopefully bring more engagement for people to say, hey, I'm a good storyteller. When I went to your website, went to the TikTok site, I noticed, you know, consistently you're getting thousands upon thousands of views on these videos. At what point when you look at your video and look at the success, do you say, okay, that one went viral. What do you have to reach to be viral in your mind? In my mind, I think anything that goes over 50,000 starts getting into the, the, the semi-viral. Uh, I know that. That's a measuring stick that changes depending on the person. Uh, but for me, I, I really think that once something hits 10,000 views, it has more potential to reach 50,000 views. And once it hits 50,000, that means it's reached an expanse of people that is probably probably going to keep going. And I've actually seen that happen for a couple of videos way back in, in July, where they kind of hit that 10,000 10, threshold and just kind of stop. And then I wake up the next morning and I'm like, wow, there's a lot of people on this video. And I don't know why they're, they're picking up this video, even though it was two months ago. I've had a, a good handful of videos past that 100,000 mark to just keep going. And that's when I think it starts going to the, the actual viral uh, kind of TikTok content, uh, because it's, it's, it's outside of just a, a small range of people. And now it's getting shared outside of, you know, if, if I did it in Florence, now it's in Huntsville, Mobile, Birmingham, Auburn, and uh, far reaching. The first one that you mentioned, the Florence, you had 10,000 plus views on that one. You're probably pretty pleased at that point. You're like, all right, I got something going here, at least something small. And then you have one that's approaching a million views with a story out of Prattville. What made that one so special? And what do you think made it take off? I, I, I actually think I've, I've pinpointed why that one was probably the best performing Alabama urban legend. And it's because so many people have had stories coming out of that specific area. And believe it or not, that was one of the few urban legends that I actually had heard in Auburn when I was a child. I don't remember how I came across it or why, but I felt that because I had heard it in Auburn, that more people would resonate with that one. And it turned out to be exactly that. Even in the story, uh, you have mayors and police officers and factory workers and people who live in the area, people who frequent that area, who will tell you, I 100% saw this phenomenon happen at this place. And they go on record and put their reputations on the line uh, to say that. And so I think some of the people who had experienced some things jumped on that video really early and said, hey, remember when we had that experience here? Remember when we were driving down this road? Remember when uh, we were hanging out in the, the river down below and we saw that thing? The, the, the shares, I guess it's just that the, the shares ramped up the algorithm and the algorithm really favored that video and it's i still get i'm still getting tons of tons of views and, and likes on that to this day and i just think it was the the material just people could really resonate with that one in particular um i had another video very similar in san antonio I actually crossed the million million views threshold and it's still getting views today and it's kind of similar to that phenomenon as well where people said i had experiences on this floor i saw this this event happened. And I, and I do think that skeptics also help the content as well, um, to be transparent. I think it's, uh, it's healthy and good for people to say, I don't believe that. 
Um, I don't think this happened. Um, I've been there and nothing happened because it, it, it causes healthy, uh, healthy discourse. People start talking and the more people talk, the, the more we can see common ground. Okay, I'm a believer and this is what I believe or I'm a skeptic and this is what I believe. And there's a lot of conversations happening on that video as well. So I think that helps boost those videos up too. When it comes to the paranormal, how much do you believe it and how much are you buying into everything? I'm actually a solid five between one and 10 because I do think that there are scientific phenomenon that we don't understand. And we, you know, throw the ghost label on it. But on the flip side, I do think there's also things that happen that could, you know, venture off into the metaphysical realm. So when I go into any story, I, I try my best to, to let people know like, hey, this is an urban legend. I don't confirm or deny the story. This is the story. This is this is what people say say happened. Um, I like to leave an open-ended question. You know, what do you believe? Uh, and try to leave my own personal opinion out of it because I do feel certain ways about certain places, and I try my best to convey a message that shows that I'm not subjective to any story that I do, which is sometimes hard. A great example are the the mountain lions and the the black panthers that people have said that they've seen throughout Alabama throughout the course of history. Um, Alabama's gone, gone on record and saying like, hey, these things don't live here. But then you have people like me who have seen interesting looking cats in the wild. So it's kind of, you know, even then I tried my very best to not say, hey, I've seen this. This is definitely true. I'm just going to tell you the story. I tried my best to say, hey, this is what Alabama says. This is what the people say. It's open to your interpretation to what you believe and, and not throw and and I'm not going to throw myself into this conversation. I want you guys to talk about it. And I, I, I love those stories um, because people will say, hey, well, I actually have a, a black cat outside my property and he's he's gotten a hold of my horses. Or I've seen this mountain lion up in the, the northern part of Alabama and we have him on game cameras and we have multiple pictures of him on game cameras and it's not a bobcat. And so it, it's really cool to see that happen in real time as well. You put together scores and scores of these urban legend uh, videos. How does the research come together and where do you find these stories? There are a lot of resources in Alabama for these stories. The, the hard part is finding them. So I don't like to do any stories that don't have some type of verifiable source behind them. So whether it's a book that's been written, um, I, a lot of people have asked me if I read 13 Alabama Ghosts and Jeffrey, and I have not. When I started this, I didn't even know that book existed. Uh, but that is a book I've come across and I still haven't read it. But I, ironically, I ended up covering a lot of those stories. Um, but I, I like to pull from specific research. So I, if I find a news article that's talking about it, that's a good starting point because news is, having worked in news, that's one of those things that they usually don't put their necks on the line with false information uh, or even, even in the Halloween season. Uh, because they know that that's going to reflect poorly on the, the news that they push out later. So if there's a news source, if there's a book, if there is a history center uh, in the local area that talks about it, um, I'm going to I'm going to be all over that story. So thankfully for almost every, if not every story, there has been two or three of those sources that I can pull from. Sometimes it's just one and I have to kind of compile personal experiences with with verifiable sources. But I don't like to say. So I try to make sure that everything that I say is something that you can go type in Google and you can verify for yourself and, and build upon the, the urban legend that I gave you. What's your favorite urban legend that you've covered so far? Wow, 
Um, I think my favorite, uh, just because it was so so much fun to talk about, was Bear Creek Swamp. I think that it has so much mystery around it, and it's one of the ones where I think I saw maybe one skeptic of all the people that commented on that video talking about they've been on the road, they've had something happen, they've been on the road, they've had something happen, they saw this, they experienced this. And it was, it, it was, that was, that was the most fun to research because I honestly had to cut that one short because there was so much activity that people said that they had on that road. That was all different. It has a, it has a cryptid. It has um, the crybaby bridge phenomenon. It has ghosts. It has apparitions. It has sounds. It has uh, electronic malfunctions. It has orbs. It has everything that you could possibly think of happens in this one small stretch and it's so laced with history as well because the Alabama tribe this is one of the places where they settled and they had settled for thousands of years so it's, it also has so much indigenous history attached to it too so just learning about different places like this in Alabama more specifically this one uh was just so much fun and it's, it's kind of turned me into a history buff a little bit so I would say of all the places I've done that one is probably my favorite and probably one I'm going to revisit at some point do you consider yourself a TikTok phenomenon? I, I consider myself a TikTok abnormality uh, in, in, a, in a better sense, because at this point, I'm one of one just with how many videos I've done and also doing these outside of October. Uh, that's not typical, I would say, for people to talk about scary stories or ghost stories or cryptid stories or, or urban legends outside of October where people are ramping up to, to get really scared and spooked out. So. Nobody else is really in this space, so <laughs> uh, an enigma of sorts, I would say. Where do you see this going down the road? I think that Alabama is commonly overlooked as a place that has history outside of some of the tragic and, and tragedy that's happened here. I would love to to take the, the history that I found and make Alabama more of a place where people want to come to outside of just football or being in fields and country. I think that Alabama has a lot to offer. So being able to take some of these stories and have people come and investigate these places, I think would help show Alabama in a different light and bring some, some levity to the area. And one of the people that I, I like to point to is Horace King. Not a lot of people know about Horace King, but Horace King is one of the, he's one of the, the architects that history kind of forgets about, but had an incredible impact throughout the South and the Southeast. Um, he built Spring Villa. He was a freed slave who learned architecture. He built Spring Villa. He built the Albany House, the Albany Bridge House in Albany, Georgia. He built the first bridge crossing Phoenix City into Columbus. He he had his hand in so many places that we would never know unless we took the time to say, hey, okay, Horse King and architect, who is he? And you go down the rabbit hole and you see that he's had his hand on so many things. And so it's, it's phenomenal history like that that I want to bring out and, and hopefully bring, you know, Travel Channel or, um, you know, Discover Your History uh, to, to put some real time and effort outside of, you know, Salem and Ohio and, and all of the other quote unquote famous places for hauntings and ghosts. That's Joshua Darren. Joshua earned his Bachelor of Arts degree in mass communication and broadcasting from the College of Arts and Sciences in 2016. Today, he has 70,000 followers for his Alabama urban legend and Southern urban legend videos. And he has a great idea of what it means to be a blazer. I think being a blazer means 
you know, just being equipped with the tools to, to succeed. Uh, there's been so many people who've come from UAB who've gone on to do great things. Uh, they've gone on to do a lot of firsts, and they've gone on to, to, to attribute all of their success back to the schooling that they were able to get at UAB. It's one of, it is one of the most diverse schools in the country, in my opinion. And because of that diversity, it, it challenges you to, to go out and do more with, with what you're given. And I would say I learned to try harder at UAB than any other thing that I've done, whether it's my career and the things that I pursued uh, on the back end. So I, I think uh, the, blaze, the, the blazer is not a coincidence. I think that uh, when you can, can embody that, you can go out and accomplish great things. Be sure to listen into previous episodes of UAB Green and Told. Check us out at alumni.uab.edu slash greenandtold. Have a story to share or know someone we need to get in touch with? Email greenandtold at uab.edu. Finally, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search UAB Alumni. Thanks for listening. And until next time, go Blazers.